Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. This show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, the Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by Prosperitas, an animation agency that can help you bring your company's ideas, values, products, and messages to life with the power of engaging videos. Whether you strive to win more customers, engage, or educate your audience, Prosperitas will craft each video and marketing campaign specifically targeted to fit your brand and vision. Visit ProsperitasAgency.com today to learn more. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-T-A-S Agency.com to find out how Prosperitas can create the best videos your company has ever had. My guest today is James Adam. James has worked in marketing for over 20 years with brands like The North Face, Hasbro, JCB, Hallmark, and T-Mobile. In 2020, he made the decision to scale back his marketing agency he had been running for 12 years to focus on helping smaller businesses as well as getting back to the work he loved. Now he helps bring big brand experience and strategy to small and medium-sized businesses, helping them to simplify the marketing process using his ruthlessly efficient marketing process. And like myself, he also has a law degree. Thanks so much for joining me today, James, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So I'd love to know, tell me how you got started. What first brought you into the world of marketing? Oh, man, it was, well, it's like you said, I've got a law degree. I went to school. It was all, I, I did law at A-level. That's Then we went to, to university to do law, and that was my plan. I was going to be a lawyer. That was what I wanted to do. And And I think I realized during my time at university that, it was going to be a really long time before I actually earned any money. And I also liked writing, which is something I enjoyed doing. And I liked writing creatively as well. And it became pretty apparent to me that actually I could use my ability to write in a commercial way to make money a bit faster. And I'd probably be making a lot more money if I'd stuck at being a lawyer. But at this point in time, I just wanted to get a job quickly. And so I I went into marketing and that's where I started straight away. So the first job I had was a marketing uh, role in a retail store for a number of different uh, gift and gadget retailers. And I just, I never left. I love, I, I really love marketing. I love every part of the, the psychology of it, the creativity of it. I know a lot of people think marketing and people that work in marketing are terrible, but I think if you've done it, it can be a really amazing job. Oh, for sure. No, I totally agree. It, de- it definitely gets a bad rap, but it certainly makes the world go round. <laughs> and I think there's more ethical and, and positive ways to do it and, and, you know, and use those powers for good. So, yeah, totally. Why? And I think that's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'd love to know, like, how has the law degree helped you help serve your career as a marketer? 
Yeah, you learn a lot when you do a law degree. You learn a lot about about psychology, reasoning with people, how to get people to do the thing that you want them to do. And I think that's really the part of it that I found to be the most interesting, the, the parts we did where we were talking about psychology, because really, ultimately, that's what marketing is. It's about getting people to do things that you want them to do. And ideally, I always say it's, it's better to try and make a thing that people want. But a lot of the time we are handed thing, things that we have to make people want. And that's the, that's the reality of it. So there's a lot of that goes into it. I think it's, and, and I think being able to write is really important. If you can't write, it is very difficult to be great at marketing if you're not great at copy as well. I would definitely fully agree. So how do you think marketing can make the world a better place? Like how can we improve the image of marketing and marketers and how can we use those powers for good? Yeah, like you said before, marketing does get, it does get a bit of a bad rep, doesn't it? People like, you know, Bill Hicks have often said marketing people should just go and throw themselves uh, off a, a high cliff. But I, I totally agree with you. I think it can be used for good. And so there's so many amazing small businesses out there and even medium sized and some large businesses are doing wonderful things and doing great stuff for their community and doing offering amazing services. And the, the problem that they have is that people don't know they exist. And that marketing is the only way for that to happen. So you have a position where you can help somebody go from having this amazing idea that nobody knows about or this wonderful service that people you know, they haven't been able to get out to the world. And you can help people do that. And, and that was really the motivation behind it. As I grew my agency, I found more and more I was helping larger brands just make a bit more money and you're having less and less massive real impact on individuals and on smaller you know smaller business ultimately and ultimately really it's about those business owners and that's what we do now like a really focus on helping those smaller owned businesses have massive impact and it's so amazing when you feel like you actually did something that you could see their business turn around you could see them get in front of more people and you can you know it's that level of authenticity and honesty that you get from a smaller business that sometimes is i'm not saying it's missing in all large businesses but it's sometimes a little bit more uh, fluid shall we say in the larger brands no i definitely agree and i think this past year has really shown us that the other place that's really missing is in government we've had so many different approaches to the pandemic so many different responses and but by and large like across the board like the marketing on everything has just they've really dropped the ball and not that they ever really held the ball because by and large there's <laughs> no one in marketing that gets like elected marketers don't run or get elected to congress by and large it's almost exclusively lawyers who we talked about before the show are by and large not great marketers they know it exists lawyers have their own negative connotations about how bad their advertising or marketing is the ambulance chasing and stuff like that and i think about things like the cdc a few weeks back it just announced that unvaccinated people could start to stop wearing masks and things like that and the me that wasn't really the complete message they're putting out there, but that was like the message that showed up. And then it just gives people carte blanche to go and do various things. And it's just, if you guys actually know how to roll out a good marketing message, like this might be a lot better. Or even I thought just from using human psychology, using incentives that marketers really know how to use incentives versus using mandates. I think we could have had a lot better outcomes in terms of the behavior we're trying to get. You look at Ohio now and they're like, hey, we're going to have a million dollar lottery for people to get the vaccine. It's like, why didn't we put that in place? Like people <laughs> love playing the lottery. People love getting money and people will definitely take a vaccine they wouldn't otherwise take if you offer them a chance to win a million dollars and free lottery ticket for a million dollars, sign me up. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's no, we don't have that. Where are our bribes to have nothing over here to bribe us into having our vaccines? <laughs> yeah, it's ruthlessly efficient, right? You've got your, yeah. So actually tell me about ruthlessly efficient marketing. So that's, I mean, that, that was the, the main basis for what we started out doing. I'd, I'd seen in so many, you see it in so many big businesses, but you also see it in small businesses who've got almost no money to spend on marketing. And you look around at what they're doing and they're just wasting they're not always wasting money, but they're always wasting time. And that was the thing that we really hit upon that was a, a massive problem is that they were they get so distracted by the tactics, by thinking about what should I be doing next? Well, there's TikTok over here. That's new and I should probably be involved in that. And maybe I need to have my Snapchat ideas to do this. And then I need to be on Twitter and I've got to be on Facebook and I need to be doing, maybe I need to do some direct marketing. I need to do this, that and the other. And then they get swamped by, you know, Instagram's algorithm or what they're going to do for their SEO and how that's going to work. And they get totally overwhelmed, but they try and dabble in loads of little bits and pieces and try and have all this time and, and ultimately money being wasted. That's why we developed a, a process which was really built around stripping away everything and ignoring any channel that wasn't important, ultimately any channel that didn't actually have a customer that was willing to buy something from you or to engage with your product or service and if, if they're not there if that's not where they are then you just forget about it and really double down on those areas and it's there's a number of different things that you can do to make sure that everything you do is ruthlessly efficient and then ultimately if it isn't you shouldn't be doing it because we don't as small businesses we don't have the time or money to just go off and do massive brand awareness campaigns it just doesn't work yeah it is incredible just watching the amount of money that that small businesses and large businesses waste on marketing. And especially when something like your, your main real estate, your website is just not up to snuff. And so your, your bounce rate is like over 90% and people are there for less than 10 seconds. It's, it really doesn't matter what channels you're on and what, what kind of marketing you're doing. If you're your fundamental core of like people figuring out exactly what you do and how they can do business with you. If you don't have that set up properly, like it's just not going to happen. No, totally. And we had some, we've worked with some amazing people and some, there was one guy that we were working with and he was actually working, his business was a side hustle. He was doing something, he, was, he had a proper job. I always talk about what we do is not a proper job when you work for yourself, but he had a job working for someone else and he was coming home and then he was working through the night, trying to make sure he'd got content on all these different channels and he was doing you know, all these different bits and pieces just to keep this, what he felt was the marketing machine going. And he wasn't getting great results from it because he was just trying to do something in every single different possible area. And we worked really closely with him to try and just strip back everything that he was doing that wasn't ultimately in service of what that next goal was. And then when he did that, he was able to not only spend much less time doing it, because that's part of what we, what we try and do is actually trying to cut back the amount of time that people need to spend doing this stuff. But then he was all the things he did were way more successful. So every time he did add a little bit more time add a little bit more investment, he was getting massive results on each thing. And that's what it's, that's what being ruthlessly efficient is all about. It's about making sure that every little, every drop of time you spend on something has a good return on it. Oh, absolutely. Like many people, like I often have in the past fallen victim to like shiny new object syndrome, because I'm a, I'm an idea person, I'm a starter. And so I need that, I need that finisher and a lot of stuff I do to see things through the end. Because otherwise, yeah, I'll be like, Oh, wow, did you just hear about this? Did you just hear about that? And just the explosion in like marketing in the technology, like MarTech field is 
been incredible over the last decade. I think it's going to like continue to do, but it just increases that shiny new object syndrome, right? It's what platform do I need to be on? What technology, what should my tech stack be like? And it gets away from the strategy and it gets away from the fundamentals. And both of those things are really recipes for disaster. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Now, right now, it's never been better. If you're to start a new business, you've never had a better opportunity to be able to get in front of people and, and not ultimately, and sometimes not even have to pay for it because you have so much you could potentially do. But in and of itself, that creates its own overwhelming analysis paralysis when you sit there and you look at all the different things you could do. People end up just either not doing any of them or trying to do all of them. And both of those things are just a super super bad idea and as you just touched on there really part of the problem is that a lot of small businesses and even medium-sized businesses don't think that they think that having a marketing strategy is something that big brands do they think that's something that's just not is not for them they think of a marketing strategy as this big weighty tedious document that gets written at the start when you start your business up and then chucked in a drawer or the back of a filing cabinet and never ever looked at again because it's just not something they have to worry about they work on this hand-to-mouth marketing kind of process and that's just, it just couldn't be further from the truth. That marketing strategy should be a thing that sits there on your desk all the time that you refer back to over and over again, that helps keep you in check and keep you moving in the right direction. And I just think that's part of the problem is that a lot of people just don't have the basics. No, I totally agree. Having that marketing strategy is so important. I, I think it's probably the most important thing in a business other than just like having the actual operation of what you're doing going, because otherwise you're a ship without a rudder. And so it's like if your operations are the ship, but you don't have any way to steer, which is your marketing strategy, then you're just adrift. And so occasionally you might run into have something go viral or you'll get lucky with something, but eventually like you're going to hit an iceberg because you don't actually have any way to control what's happening. And so you can't actually survive a massive shifts, a global pandemic, obviously it's like once yeah. in a lifetime, <laughs> but it really has shown, okay, are you really set up to be able to pivot? Do you really have a core business? Do you really have a core? audience and target market or are you just adrift wandering in the wilderness hoping that people uh will come to your business there's so many businesses out there that are if they're for-profit businesses but they're effectively the way they market is just like asking for charity they're just like please someone i hope you'll like take us up on this and they're just like they're not focusing on their customers they're not focusing on their offer and how they meet those people and that strategy is just so important because like you said, like it just tethers you to a, a guiding light and it's something, yeah, it doesn't go on a shelf. It, you can whittle it down to one page. That's why the one page marketing plan is so effective. Just hang it on your wall. So every day yeah. you can look at it and then you can ask yourself when you're doing anything tactically, you can say, does this serve my marketing strategy? And if it doesn't, then you really need to take a long, hard look about whether or not that's something you should be doing. Yeah, uh, no, I couldn't agree more. That's why we always say you should have that. You should have that there. You should have, ideally, your customer avatars ready. You should be thinking about them. We always talk about, about your customer as like your best friend. They really are. If you're running a business, your customer is the best, your best friend. And when you go to a message, you send a text message of WhatsApp or whatever to one of your close friends or your family, you don't think about it that much. You don't think about what exactly you're going to say. You don't rewrite your copy you certainly don't get someone else to sign it off before you send it you just know you know exactly what is going to make them react if you see something funny oh i need to share that with that person if you see something thought-provoking you think oh no, i know that friend of mine would really like that particular message and you don't you just don't think about it you just send it and they're going to react positively to it and that's how people should feel about their customers when they think about them and they're able to just get right inside their heads and they can just 
send those messages, put out their content, release new products, new services, and know instinctively that they're going to get a great reaction. And I think so many people just don't, they don't, not putting in the work at the very beginning to really nail that stuff down because then when they're on the wall they're right next to you they're like a like a board advisor aren't they like another person that you can effectively ask even though if you do talk to your customer avatars on your wall you might start to go a bit mad but you can ask those people and you get you get the answers and everything you do is better for it oh absolutely it's I feel like it's certainly one of the most overlooked things, especially if you don't, especially for online businesses, or if you're not, you know, in a brick and mortar situation where you do actually interface with your customers on a direct, regular basis that people just say, okay, I think my customers want X. And so you can actually ask them, you can actually reach out and you can actually figure out like what's going on and what they really need, because what you think they need is just a reflection of you is it's not really what they actually need necessarily. Yeah, there's there's a place for vision, isn't there? There's a place for you. Some people have this idea of what they want and, and they can go out and sell that to that people. And that's great. But in reality, most people, like, you've already got customers, you, whether they're online or whether you're a bricks and mortar or however you are, you have those people. So you can ask them what it is about your business that they love. What is it that makes you special? What is the combination of what's your secret sauce? What are the combination of different things that you do better than anybody else? Because usually there is something, and, I, and in so many examples of people that we've worked with recently, it's not the thing they think it is. They think it's price, but it turns out it's something completely different. Or sometimes they, they, they certainly think it's service. I, when I was running my agency and I was absolutely convinced that the thing that made us special was that we got alongside our clients. We worked side by side with them. I had the word side by side written on the wall because it was such an important thing to me. And at one point we did a, an exercise, this exact exercise, where we went back to all of our clients, all our best clients and asked them, what is it that you love about us? What, what is the reason that you've worked with us for such a long time? And it almost exclusively, it was, it was simply, you just make us look really good. They're not bothered about the fact that we were, we treated it like it was our own business or all these wonderful things. They just wanted to be made to look good and that we knew what we were doing and that we got great results. And these were the things. And I think that just shows that no matter how certain you are that you, what makes you special, you should always go and ask your customers to, to make sure that's right. Mm, yeah, I totally agree. Because anyone can say they work side by side or treat as their own business or something, but if it doesn't get the results, like, in the end, it doesn't really matter. And once it gets the results, of course, like that's what people care about the most. You can yeah. work side by side and not get them results. And it's, oh, yeah, hey, Pacifico, James, like, you're really cool and nice. I love you, but you're not making it happen. So I'm going to move on. But if you get so, the yeah, results, yeah. they'll stay with you for life. Yeah, totally. So what do you think are the most important concepts in marketing? What do you think it's overlooked? I think it's... I really do think it's the basics. I think that I've worked in marketing for you know, 20 plus years now and I've varied in my career between working in dedicated in PR, I've worked in full service marketing and a generalist and like yourself, I'm, I am probably a bit of a generalist. I've, I've always struggled to try and pick a niche because, because I like doing everything. I like, I love marketing and I love all the different parts of it. But the reality is that now I spend most of my time telling people you've got to pick a niche because the truth is you do have to pick a niche. That is the right thing to do. But so many people that I speak to, you ask these really simple questions, which is what is it that makes you special? Who is your ideal customer? Where do they hang out? What do you say to them to make them want to buy something from you? And they don't have good answers for those questions. So it doesn't really matter 
what your content schedule looks like on Facebook or what your SEO strategy is, because you've just, you've missed the most important part, which is putting in that, that really basic marketing strategy so that then everything else builds on that. And I think that just seems to be the most important thing to me. Totally agree. James, how do you see marketing evolving over the next decade? And then conversely, what won't change? I think what, what probably won't change is that we are ultimately always going to be about communications. So no matter how that changes, no matter what changes, as many things do, and, and certainly the method that we use to communicate with people will change, it will always be about communications and being able to understand what people want and fulfill that need and to be able to enter those conversations that your customer is already is already having there will always be customers all the while there are all the while we're trying to sell something there'll be somebody that we want to buy something so that is a, a relationship that will always be but i think what is changing now and has has changed over the course of the last couple of years and i think it will continue to is this sort of horribly overused word of authenticity and I, I remember seeing something about, I think it was a Dilbert cartoon or something like that, where they're saying, we need to have a focus group where we talk about how we can be more authentic. And it's, you don't get it. That's not how that works. And I think that's, I just think that's a problem. People think we need to, they actively think we need to be more authentic. You either are or you aren't. But I think that's the thing that the customer is getting more and more switched on to. They want to support small businesses. They want to support independent businesses. And I don't mean, like you said before, about this kind of, charity marketing where no please help me or we'll go out of business and all this kind of stuff but that's not you know you need to be at least decent to justify someone coming to you coming for your service or your products but i do think that people want to help people are willing to pay a little bit more for a personal service and they've seen this kind of the i guess the kind of collapse of the bigger brands and things like that and they see the human behind those things and i think that's gonna and that's gonna carry on i think individuals are going to be, you know, be so much more important in businesses and the desire to support smaller brands. And I think the marketing needs to focus on that. You need to be honest and not try to be gimmicky in that marketing process. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And there's so much to be said just for something as simple as clarity. People get so subsumed by everything going on in their business or they get insider language or that's something lawyers always fall prey to. You go on a lot of lawyer mm -hmm. websites and it's just like a wall of text because they've just been reading like case books their whole lives. And it's like, well, nobody's going to read this, buddy. But if you can really be clear on what your customers want, who they are, how you can reach them and what your offer is, if you're confusing everyone, like you're not going to be in business very long. But if you can get really clear on your messaging, then you don't have to ask for charity because your offer will stand out. People will understand. It's not rocket science. It's actually incredibly simple. And I think we overcomplicate marketing almost more than any other industry, I would say. Yeah, and I think that's also a bit of a, the, the agencies are a bit guilty of that. And I've certainly been a part of agencies where the part of the strategy is make what we do seem more complicated than it really is, because that's going to keep us in a job. And in my experience, that doesn't work in the long run, because every time that I've worked with a customer and we've educated them, we've helped them learn more about what they do and kind of ultimately empowered them to do more of that work. That doesn't ever result in us getting less work. It results in us getting more work because more success begets success. And it means then they need more support with doing things and the problems get bigger and change because they're getting more success. Uh, but I think that it's a bit like there is that sort of parallel with 
the law, isn't there as well, which is where the more complicated you make it, the more impossible it will be for anybody else to possibly come in and try and do some of this stuff. But I, I just think, yeah, with marketing, it's about simplifying it, getting those basics and, and ultimately just, just, yeah, keeping it really simple. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. James, I'd love to know who are some of your favorite marketers, either of all time or working today, who's doing great stuff in your eyes? I think I'm trying to think of some brands that I'm really, I'm really fond of and the way that they do things i think that if you could see my my view behind me you would see that i'm uh, my room is covered in lego lego is one of my favorite brands it's a brand that i really love and I, I think that they represent a really great example of a brand that has struggled tried to pivot and then really figured out what their message was and ultimately then figured out who their customer was and then changed their marketing entirely because of that if you think about they they were i had lego when i was a kid and we were massive Lego fans. It was enormous. And then as I grew up, they Lego hit that age, hit that sort of what that period of time where they were incredibly unsuccessful. They lost all their imagination. They weren't creating really innovative sets anymore. And they had to pivot. So they actually that's when they brought out, they started bringing out business products and they started, they introduced Lego Serious Play, which is a which is a, a, a process that I use when we're facilitating workshops and things like that. But they brought these kind of things in because they were trying to trying to just find somewhere else to get their market and trying to find some new customers that just weren't there. And and ultimately they sorted out their their Harry Potter license, their um, Star Wars license, and they doubled down on the people that were. <laughs> that loved Lego when they were kids and now they were adults and they started marketing adult sets, charging much, much more, making much bigger sets. And then they 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 focused on those parents and then their children and making sure that they were then marketing to the parents and their children as well. And I think that's a, a fantastic example of a brand that has evolved over time, but never lost what it was that made them special at the very start. So they whilst they changed their their marketing message, they changed who they were marketing to but they didn't change what it was that made them special. Oh, I love that example. Yeah, I love Legos. I have a five and seven year old and they're both <laughs> obsessed. Like they're they're both like, we want to be Lego designers when we grow up. And they're like, we're going to do this, that, and that. I'm like, hey, let's rock it. And a few, maybe a couple months ago, we're at the bookstore and there's a like series of little books. There may be like a hundred-ish pages. And it's like, who is Abraham Lincoln? And who's this, who's LeBron James? And there's one that's, what is Lego? And my son was like, oh, we got to get this. And then right at home that night, they literally sat through over a hundred page little book of the history of Lego. And I'd known some <laughs> of it from MBA courses and case studies, but it was really wild. Like just hearing the story from the beginning, it had like multiple fires that like burned down their, their factories and warehouses like back yeah. in the day. It was just like absolute nonsense. And then pivoted successfully from just being a regular toy company to own going hard on what we now know as Legos. And yeah. And then, yeah, going through that dark night of the soul once it, they had that dip a couple decades back and then emerging from it over the last decade plus now. And it, it's been really incredible to see. And frankly, the only thing I, I would say they could improve upon is I like look back at like the sets they released in like the 80s and 90s. And I'm like, hey, you could just re-release those identical sets and millennial parents and Gen X parents, uh, you'd make a killing of the old... Yeah. The old castles and the old pirate ships and stuff like yeah they have some cool stuff now but i'm like they don't make them like they used to for some of that stuff and i'm like just re-release it just do it like you're sitting on like a billion dollars of like extra sales you could get right there but yeah they're they're yeah totally so i'd love to know what you think small business owners should know about marketing what mistakes are they making and what can they do better beyond just get a strategy in place 
Yeah, well, we touched a bit about a bit on that earlier, which is, yeah, you, you do need to go back to that, those first early questions and ask yourself those questions because you got into business. And I think this is something that I think happens a lot for a small business owner is, and to be honest, it happened to me as well. This is why I ended up in the position I am at the moment, because we start a business because usually we love doing what we're doing. It's not usually, oftentimes some people start a business because they spot an opportunity to make some money or something along those lines. But a lot of the time it's about passion, especially a lot of, especially like hospitality, leisure, brick and mortar retail businesses. They're built on passion because you've got to be passionate to have any chance of starting a business like that these days. And what happens is gradually over time, all of those tactics and things you should be doing start to wear you down and start to make you forget about what it was that you love doing and that's what my agency i as we gradually grew i became i did less and less marketing and did more and more hr and operations and finance and stuff like that and it, was, it wasn't what i got into this in the first place for and i took the decision to stop doing those things and to had to scale back in order to do that and then get back to basics and focus on dealing direct with individuals and helping them with their marketing so that we could i could actually do the do with them and i think that's what small business owners sometimes forget about is that there was a thing that you're brilliant at there was a thing that you were great at that made you want to set up this business and you've got to keep focused on that you've got to not forget about the reason you did it in the first place and if that means you've got to outsource certain tasks you've got to outsource finance stuff you've got to outsource operations you've got to outsource marketing whatever that means you should be willing to do those things so that you can really double down on the thing that makes you special yeah, things just get so much harder if you forget your why, because then you're wandering around in the darkness and it's like, how did I get here? What was I doing this for in the first place? But if you can yeah. get if you can get back to that central question of your why and, and answering that, then it's a, a great guiding light to get you through the hardest times. Yeah, totally. So how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? Yeah, I think this is probably my favorite failure is, uh, and again, I, I draw that comparison. We, So I, my marketing agency is called Cunning Plan, and, and we've been running for about 12 years and been absolutely a generalist. We were focusing on pretty much anybody. I did things for JCB, for construction, and also did things in hospitality and things in clothing and fashion. So it was if there was a bit of work to do, we would be very happy to do it. And absolutely no not a niche in sight whilst that we were running and, and running pretty successfully and during the sort of end of 2019 coming into 2020 we took the decision that we wanted to really focus on a certain type of work that we were doing and that was the, the destination work so we were working with some towns we were working with hospitality working with retail working with ultimately our goal was to get people to go to places and that was absolutely we took the decision in the end to say yes let's do it let's we will niche and it's a reasonably sized niche but it was still quite a niche for us and it meant saying goodbye to a few other things that we were doing or, or certainly de-emphasizing those and that was that we're right we're going to focus on getting people to go to places that sounds like a great idea doesn't it and then sure enough along comes COVID-19 and it shut every single thing that we were trying to focus on promoting and so in some respects you could argue that is a it's a good reason not to double down on a niche or you could call that a failure but I, I don't see that as a failure in any way shape or form i think it just proves that it is important to do that because sure enough during that period of time i was given some time to think and i 
I went on to work with some of the ones that did close down, stuck around and we worked with them to help them pivot, to help them adjust what they were doing and ultimately come back stronger. And as they're reopening over here, places are just starting to reopen again. And the ones that we're working with are coming back super strong, really, you know, making the most of this next period of time. But the ones that, and lots of others are coming back to us saying, hey, we want to work with you because we've heard you've been doing this stuff. We've heard you've been, you know, you're good at helping these particular businesses get people to come to them. And so I think, although it is a failure, it ultimately it's resulted in, it's resulted in success on the back of that. So I, I just think anybody that feels like the idea of getting a niche is, is scary. The idea of ignoring a certain audience or alienating a certain audience is something that is hard to do. I would just really would encourage people to, to know, just take the plunge, go for it and just, you know, really dive into that because it makes a huge difference. Totally agree. So if you can have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Think like your customer. I think that is that was something that, you know, one of my first bosses said to me that when I first started out in marketing, they said to me, everything else doesn't matter. Marketing is not rocket science. All you have to do is think like your customer. And if you can do that, you'll be able to talk to them. You'll be able to get them to do anything because you'll be able to get in their head. And I think that is, for me, that's the building block of all marketing. And if you can get to that point where you can think like your customer, you will be able to make a success of your business. It's a great one. So what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? Oh, and I see that's, that's tricky. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a great I'm not a great book reader. A lot of my a lot of my knowledge has come from from doing from from the great, the amazing people I've worked with, the the people I've the people I've learned from over the course of the, over the course of the years, and also working with a lot of amazing amazing freelance specialists and people that people that have helped me learn things. Again, as a, like yourself, as a as a bit of a generalist, we rely a lot on other people coming in. So, to be absolutely honest with you, I'd be like I'm trying to think of some examples of, of great books that I've read, but I I think I've there's a handful of, I read a really amazing SEO book whose name, now that you mentioned it, I can't remember the name of the person that wrote it, which I think was incredibly valuable and taught me a lot about some of the tactics of SEO and the basics of it and everything like that. I'll have to try and look up the name of it for you. And also some some more around, around content. But I think from a branding point of view, Positioning is a book that I've read and I can't remember the name of the author of that either. So it demonstrates my very poor brain. But, but yeah, Positioning was a great book that really helped me understand how you can get your brand to be in a niche, in a position that appeals ideally to that, that perfect customer of yours. Because I think that's something that, again, is you have an opportunity as a brand, even if you're doing something that a lot of other people are doing, if you can position yourself just right, you can really give yourself standout when, you know, there's lots of people who are, there's lots of lawyers, there's lots of dentists, there's lots of professional services, but if you can position that brand, you can create some space where perhaps there isn't any. And that was a book that really had a massive impact on me. Fantastic. So how have you found mentors and advisors throughout your career? Mixed, I would say it's fair. It's fair to say I've had, I've had a number of different mentors, different coaches, things like that. And I think they come in different forms, don't they? They come in the, the, your first boss, the people you've worked for kind of form. And I think I've had a, had a couple of, of amazing bosses when I first started out that gave me the space. Uh, and the ultimately the freedom to do whatever I wanted and to make some really stupid mistakes. But ultimately, they gave me the chance to do those things. 
And I think that's what makes an amazing mentor and certainly an amazing boss is someone that gives freedom, doesn't chastise too much when you do make the mistakes and ultimately is there to support you and, and help you grow and help you learn. And that is a wonderful thing. But I've also had coaches, certainly as part of having a, a business myself, I have signed up to coaching programs and done things like that. And I think they do vary quite wildly. A lot of the time, a coach is someone that wants to recycle their own experience, paper over the cracks and sell it for a bit more than it was worth. And I think that can be a bit of a risk sometimes. The the coaches and the people I've worked with that have delivered great value generally are people that are still doing it, people that are still working, that are still understand the business. They didn't exit their business 20 years ago for a nice princely sum and then, then just go around reselling what worked for them at that time they they're still working they're still in business they're still doing stuff at the moment so they understand today's market and i think that's if you're looking for a coach or you're looking for someone to advise you i, I just think it's so important to make sure that they get your business do they get your industry do they understand your customer and do they understand what it is to run a business today not what it was to run a business 10 years ago Oh, totally. I love that. And you know, what you're saying earlier about psychological safety, I think that's so important. And one of the most underrated things in an employer in a coach in a mentor, it, cause it's just, it can really help you reach a different level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made and feel free to interpret the word investments as broadly as you like. I think the most valuable thing that I ever did was when I realized that I think when you're a kid, you're at school and they always tell you to, to get better at the thing you're not good at. If you're good at writing, then they want you to get better at drawing. I was good at, I was good at drawing and writing, not great at maths. So they want you to spend a bit more time working on your maths. And I took that and really translated that when I started my own business, I was constantly focused on getting better at operations getting more organized getting better at finances trying to understand you know more and more about that side of my business when in truth i was the i was the creative person i should have been working on the strategy and those kind of things and the it was when i realized that i just should the investment i need to make is invest in people to do all the things that you're bad at I get people in, I brought people in to help me with those areas so that I could double down on the thing that I was already good at and get really good at it. And I think that, you know, when, I, when I'm thinking about what is a good thing to invest your time in, invest in the things that you're not good at, get someone else to do them and just get really good at the stuff that you're already good at. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Hiring your weaknesses is it's like one of the untold secrets of, of business and of life because I think everyone has a real chance to be truly exceptional at something or maybe several things but usually it's not the things that you're just naturally disinclined to do if you're a marketer or a business owner and yeah you hate bookkeeping you're not going to be a cpa so like just hire someone to do it no. but if you love marketing or maybe you love doing social media or something like those things that you love and you're naturally inclined to do that you can call strengths and you can build towards that then those are the things you can become world-class at. And that's really what you mm. need to work on developing. That's why I think things like when I was in business school, we did Clifton Strengths Finder, and it was just totally eye-opening because I'd taken MBTI and a variety of other, you know, personality and, and self-assessments and stuff like that. And it wasn't until I did that, that I was like, oh, that is what I'm good at. Let me work on those things then. And then as I continue to develop that, things shifted a little bit. But then now when I take it, it's like very consistent. And it's, oh, yeah, you're 
you're futuristic, you're strategic, you love, you're a lifelong learner, you love to learn new things, you're a sponge, you believe in the interconnectedness of life, you love winning others over. And so it was just like, oh yeah, this is like how I'm unique and this is what I should really be focused on that I can make a big difference in the world because if I try and go be a CPA, who, who needs a mediocre CPA that doesn't like doing it? Right? Yeah. Like that's, that's not going to change the world. You can change the world if you focus on your strengths and, and increase them and build your skills. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So who have been some of your heroes throughout your life and how did they help or inspire you? Wow. Yeah. It's, it's tough to think about things like that. I think it's hard not to start with your parents. Both my parents were both worked really hard. They taught me a real valuable work ethic and, to, and that basically no one's going to, no one's handing you anything. You, if you want something, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to work hard in order to achieve that. So I think that, that set me off for a really good, for a good start. I think that's so important. And I think some of my early some of my early bosses were really, really important to me. The people that, again, like I said, they've, they gave me the space, they gave me the freedom to try and do things when, quite frankly, I had absolutely no right to be given that level of authority, space and freedom to do those things because I had no experience. I had no, there was no guarantee that I was not going to make a colossal mess of some of those different things, but they had trust. And I think that's something that I've really tried to take that on when I'm dealing with people that work for and with me now, which is to make sure I give them that space and freedom to do things, because I think that's so important if you want to, if you want to get great results from people. I totally agree. So what are your go-to self-care strategies, tactics, techniques? I think I always think that a lot of people talk about getting up and doing some exercise and this sort of amazing routines. I'm not great at, at those things. Self-care has not always been my an area of my expertise. My wife is a psychologist. She is you know, extremely focused on this sort of thing and she tries to help me, uh, help me take those moments and, and take that time to make sure that you do think about stuff and i would say that i probably ignored that for, for for a great deal of my career because i was just getting on with it and i think that's something a lot of people do is they just especially if you're running a business you're just getting on with it you're living one day to the next and you just got to keep you just got to keep on the treadmill because you are afraid that if you get off the treadmill and you take a moment of time to reflect you take a moment to think about things it's all just going to stop or it's all going to fall apart or something terrible is going to happen but the truth is something terrible doesn't happen and actually, when you get back on the treadmill refreshed, you're better for it. And so it's simple stuff like going for walks. I'm lucky enough to have been similar to self, two great kids, and they enforce breaks for me. And again, being back at home now, like we are at the moment, and having them around helps me take a moment and, and go and spend time with them. Because the truth is, they don't care if you're having a bad day. If you're feeling a bit grumpy and you've had a bad conversation with somebody or you're feeling a bit fed up, they come in and they don't really care if you're down in the dumps. They're just going to be silly and they're going to come on and play with you. And and it's very hard to stay grumpy when they're around. And I think they, they're probably the best tonic I can think of. Uh, yeah, couldn't agree more. And I love what you said there. Something terrible doesn't happen. I feel like that's like a perfect <laughs> yeah. motto for self-care in general, right? Yeah, I always think, I mean, that's something I, I do try to to focus on is this idea that it's Schrodinger's cat, isn't it? If you don't know, it's both amazing and terrible. It's both succeeding fabulously and failing miserably, but it doesn't matter. And if you don't know, you can put it to one side. And sometimes you do have to be willing to do that. You have to take a break, you have to step away, and you have to accept that what will be and believe that the things you did, the things you put in place, the work you did 
will carry on even if you aren't there to, to manage it all the time. And most of the time, it's, it is absolutely fine. What advice would you give to a smart, driven high school or college graduate about to enter the real world? And is there any advice they should ignore? Oh, man, Ad advice is a, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? And I think as a 40... I was 42 yesterday. As a 42-year-old man, I'm not sure how qualified I am to give advice to somebody starting out in the world, but I would say try a lot of things. You have a massive opportunity now to try out stuff. And I think that's something that when I'm looking at recruiting people and when I'm talking to people, I want to see they've been doing things. If you tell me that you're interested in working in marketing, well, I want to see that you've tried to market something on your own you have that opportunity now there's so there's no excuse for not having a bit of experience in doing stuff before you start out if it's if there's an area that you're interested in just just do it learn about all those different things because the truth is that if you're not doing that then lots of other people are doing it too and if you are as you say if you're smart and you're driven where you want to get to then then try some of that stuff out. Publish, if you like writing, publish some work, go out there and get some stuff done. Even if you want to build a website, there's no excuse not to. Start your own podcast, start your own social media channels and then try and grow something in that way because there's like a zero barrier to entry for most of these things. And I think that's, if I'm giving some advice to someone who wants to get, especially if they want to get into marketing or something like that, but really anything is look at who's doing it well and try and emulate that and try and learn more and more about it and just, just take all that knowledge on. I love that. And happy birthday. You hit the Thanks. hit the Douglas Adams number. So that's great. That's great stuff. That's uh, it. Yeah, that's it now. Yeah. So in the last five years, what new belief, behavior or habit has most improved your life? Taking time to think about what you're doing and check to make sure it's moving you towards your ultimate goal. I think that's something that in the last year, I didn't do that before. And and it was only with a sort of hard forced stop that, that this pandemic gave me that it made me stop and it made me think and it made me realign what it was that I loved doing. And it completely changed the way I did things. It didn't change what I did, which is funny. It proved that what I do, what I did was something I loved, but it changed how I did it. And now I do that all the time. And and on a sort of, that was on a big level, but on a smaller level, I do that all the time. Every every project, every campaign, everything that we're doing, I stop and I, I critically think about the things that we're doing and make sure that it's still going in the right direction because it's so easy to get carried away and to come up with a campaign idea and think it sounds fabulous and away you go. And then you'd like, you're barreling forward thinking, yes, let's do this and we can do that and we can do this and we can do that. If you stop and go back and go, what's the goal? Where are we trying to get to? Does this definitely still get us there? And if it does, great, crack on. But if it doesn't, be prepared to change and be willing to admit that you did something that that could have been better. And I think that's a, a super important thing to learn. I think just yeah, stopping and thinking, slowing down, it's incredibly underrated, <laughs> especially in Western yeah. cultures. So yeah, James, so, so, this has been an absolutely fantastic and enlightening conversation. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And so this brings me to my final question of the day. And that is, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? I think the kindest thing anyone ever did for me was giving me a chance to do this job. I think that was one of the things that you know, that I think set me off on my career. And I know this, there's probably a million different kind 
personal things that, that, that wonderful people have done for me. But I think there was a, there's a point where I was in a job I didn't like. I was doing work that I wasn't fulfilling and I wasn't very good at. I had no experience in marketing. I had no reason for somebody to give me a chance and to give, you know, to give me a position. And they did. And they gave me that opportunity and that opened a door for me to, to walk through. But that's it. That's all it did. If I, I could have just completely goosed it and done uh, <laughs> and done nothing with that opportunity. But somebody opening that door for me that allowed me to walk through and allowed me to go go off and do all the you know really cool, amazing things that I've done over the course of my career already. I think that was a that was a pretty, pretty great thing. Oh, I love that answer. James, our time is coming to an end, but thank you so much for joining me. This has been uh, awesome to get to speak with you today. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed, yeah, really enjoyed our conversation. Definitely. So today's episode was brought to you by Prosperitas, specializing in making stunning videos to help you win more customers and look your best online. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn more. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast, or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. And if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high-quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash theluepodcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Yeah.